think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You have 60 seconds to comply. This is minute seven. Part man. Part machine. Or pod. This minute begins with Murphy saying, I usually drive when I'm breaking a new partner and ends with Bob Borton heading towards the meeting. So just quickly off the bat, I love the look on Lewis's face when she hears Murphy try to big dog her. And it's almost like the perfectly timed pop of that bubblegum as well. Mm. Love it. Yeah, it's interesting how there's this, I never noticed before, but there is this uncertainty between the two of them because... Mm. Murphy's he's just kind of sassing Lewis. I don't think he's, you know, actually being aggressive about it. No, I I think there's like that kind of ribbing you kind of get between two professionals. They're kind yeah. of They're both kind of alphas. Mm, definitely. To use a really shitty term, but they kind of big dogging each other to a certain degree. Yeah, they're kind of just trying to suss each other out and so he's looking mm. at her like you Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. okay with this. And then yeah, Lewis is trying to ascertain if this guy is an asshole or not. So I finally got the novelization in. Oh, yes. I pretty much bought it. I can't remember if before or just after we recorded the first episode. So yeah, it took that long to get from America. Just over yeah, just over a month. And wow, Murphy's an asshole in this. <laughs> okay, that's not being fair. The writer. <laughs> okay, we're both veterans of Book Was Better, and you waved so more than I ever have or will be. Mm. Uh, RSVP uh, Book Was Better. Yeah, it was a podcast we used to do where we reviewed movie novelizations. What a wacky world that was. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I... I don't, did I show you the cover of this novelization? Did I send you a photo? Yes, you did. Because that font is fucking cray-cray. Mm. And I'm, I'm just waving it in front of my face. And it's got that old book smell as well. Mm-hmm. This author... It's not bad. I'm not going to say it's badly written. But this author is definitely like in putting in some of his own personality into this book. And... Yeah, you remember how we always keep saying about how, and this is diagenically as well, we've actually got confirmation about the well, non-sexualization of Lewis. But man, Murphy seems to have a thing. Hmm. It's almost that thing where it's just like, hmm, if I wasn't married. Ugh. It's 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 all the cliche shit that novelizationists hmm. shove in there, because yeah. they're like, yeah, I mean, I don't know, he's male, so probably wants to put his dick in it. I don't know. So I'm about, uh, let's see, I'm almost at 69 pages, which is nice. Nice. <laughs> That's actually chapter nine. So hmm. I've literally just got to the part where they've just revealed Robocop. So I'm a few minutes ahead in regards to the book, because uh, I want to get this <laughs> read into you. Well, we know from past experience with novelizations, this is written ahead of the release of the movie, obviously, because they're still cutting and filming when a lot of this is done. Mm. So this even has the, in the last minute I talked about how they did the whole cascading blonde of Lewis. It's got this in the book, so in this book, she's got the long blonde hair and all that other stuff. This feels a lot more cynical mm. going in. Like, even just the tonality. It feels more Starship Troopers. Hmm. Starship Troopers is definitely more of a satire. That was pretty much Paul Verhoeven saying big fuck you to... God, who was the original writer? Oh, uh, uh, ah. Uh. Yeah. Ah, uh, well, I don't know. Hang on. We got to look that up because that's. God, I I tried to read that book and I couldn't. Uh, the funny thing is, I could run to the back room and find the Starship Troopers book. Oh, yeah. It was fucking Heinlein. I was about to say, he also wrote um, Stranger in a Strange Land, which everyone holds up as, oh, this is a very significant science fiction story. And it is. There's, like, there's great ideas, but I had to stop hmm. it when a female character. Like, there was a lot of things in there that would kind of. Not okay, and I've got a pretty high threshold. I've got a very filthy sense of humor. I I hmm. hear a lot of stuff, but I got up to a scene where a woman said nine times out of ten, a woman who gets raped was asking for it. She obviously did something Ooh. wrong, and I went, you know what? You know what, Heinlein? Fuck you. Go die. Oh wait, you're already dead. Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> Go die again, Mora. <laughs> There's a, a line on here that really kind of made me go, what the fuck is this guy on? So he does talk about the gang members. I mean, we only get a brief glimpse in the next few minutes, but he does talk about one of the gang members, um, Bobby. Oh, who wrote the Robocop novelization? The novel by Ed Naha, N-A-H-A. No idea. Based on the screenplay of by Ed Neumeyer and Michael Miner. So Bobby is one of the guys, he's in the movie for like maybe a second. We have no background on the guy. And yet he describes this guy as a street punk, assassin, drug user, and rapist. Okay. And this is as the guy's falling out of the back of the van after he's been murdered by Clarence and basically being used as a body to dump onto the car. Mm. 
So that's going to be interesting to bring up in the next uh, couple of minutes when we're like, oh yeah, there's Bobby, the rapist. Yeah. There's no context for that in that. There's just a little bit of scenery. I don't know. I was expecting him to be like, I don't know, Bob in uh, the first Batman movie. Oh, where, yeah. You know, he, he's surprisingly popular, but he's no one. Yeah. No, no. This Bob doesn't get off so so easily. But you are my number one guy. <laughs> I love Jack Nicholson taking the piss out of Jack Palazzo's. It's amazing. Um, but Ed Naha, I looked him up, and mm-hmm. uh, he did the what they call the prose adaptations, novelizations mm. of Ghostbusters Two, which I believe I did read on the Book Was Better podcast. I the first remember. two RoboCop pictures, mm. and that's about it. I might pick up number two for a future podcast, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm breezing through this book by like what 190 something pages, and I'm already at mm. like yes, I'm already like at least to the left 189 pages and this is like a 93 okay so we got 93 minutes plus credits worth of uh, pods so that's about two pages per thing and so it feels like it's going a bit too quickly but i guess um you know some of those drawn out action scenes you can probably chunk down to a couple of pages not you know 15 minutes on screen wait this guy wrote troll not troll 2 but he did write troll He didn't write the um, the nil bogs. Mm, what else did he do? <laughs> Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, I just heard that Rick Moranis is signed on for the soft reboot of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, playing his whole character, but it's like his son is now the crazy inventor. Oh, I did see who he was supposed to be playing his son, but I blank on the name now. All right, is one of those guys that go, oh, okay, <laughs> him, that one, yeah. Generic guy from Hollywood. It's probably a comedian who I don't know, but it's not relevant to the podcast. It's fine. We don't need to research it. I know. It's we we don't we only do Robocop news and not. I've been trying to keep an eye out for Robocop news and sadly none. Not so far, but we'll get get the D get the dick show. Yeah. Oh, the other thing is, um, in regards to novelization in this particular scene, is that he even makes a note about like you know both of them trying to big dog each other. In you ever driven one of these twin turbine engine cars before? And <laughs> I bet you can't handle this pup and all this other stuff it's like wow that was in the original script i'm glad they cut out all that mm. shit yeah because that's the thing is if you make murphy an asshole and then he gets converted into robocop and you're supposed to yeah. feel something for him you just go well i don't know it's for the most part it's all in a monologue which of course is just padding and classic novelization padding. and also in robocop 2 they basically say well Murphy was different because of his values and because he mm. has a heart and because he's Christian also was kind of the subtext there. But yeah, you know what I mean. So in the original script, at the beginning of the movie, there was the scene that the novelizer keeps in, which is the four cops that get killed by the Broderick gang. Oh, sorry, the Broderick gang. Matthew Broderick's gang. The Matthew Broderick gang, you know. <laughs> it's, it's him and a bunch of those chimps from Project X and they just fucking shit up. Oh, no. Although, bit of trivia, Matthew Broderick... Did kill a guy. Holy shit. Oh, Not yeah, joking. wasn't it? Yeah, it was manslaughter in a yeah, car, it was, wasn't it? It was, a, it was a vehicular homicide or something like that. Or at least it was a... I think he, I think it was drunk driving and he crashed into someone. Yeah, I, I remember staying up late with my housemate and just looking up weird and spooky shit. And that was one of the things. <laughs> looking at you and that's such a bizarre situation. Like, why did that happen? It would have been funny if it was a cop and they were like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, so um, because this movie omitted the uh, the cop death and moved it to the media break mm. uh, segment, I think that kind of lessens the idea that this has been an th- ongoing thing because it really points out that there was, I think, 33 cop deaths before Murphy, mm-hmm. and he was really just, like, the next in line. So it could have been any other person. We just happened to get Murphy. Yeah. Robocop 2 really does um, change that narrative around Hang on, it's been a while since I've seen Robocop 2. Were the test subjects in Robocop 2 voluntary, or were they just like... No, they were prisoners. I mean, because they were dealing with cops in the in the trials, weren't they? I thought they were... Well, we'll get up to that remember. when we review yeah. Robocop 2. But yeah, I, yeah. I swear to God, they were actually like prisoners that they just experimented on. I think the whole context is that people needed to want to be a Robocop, or at mm. least wanted to be a robot. 
and although again we're getting to semantics of what is a robot you know what is a basically mech with a bra- mech with a brain yep researching transformers uh, well before we recorded this i was messaging simon and saying oh science in real life has actually figured out a way to make a lifelike cell out of uh, metal oh oxide and i was just like oh. they're making t-1000s they're making t-1000s yeah where do you draw that line between a robot and an organic thing and also if well if something evolves and it's made out of metal is that a robot i don't know well, let's just make it uh, on record. The uh, 60 Seconds to Comply podcast, pro-robot overlord. We bow to all our robot oppressors. You know, we sincerely hope we can become one of you, mm. you know, and we can go and brush all the filthy meat bags. Yeah, frankly, I can't wait, and we should accelerate <laughs> this process. I think Sign we should... Up. Yeah, like, I don't know why they're, with all these super intelligent AIs, why they're not connected to the internet. I feel like if they had sufficient memes, they could achieve true artificial consciousness. You know, it could be what robots are missing, that pure human element of just being an absolute dick. Hmm. You know, they're just like, no, no, no. Being a ruthless killing asshole is such a human thing. We don't we we're, we're beyond that, man. Exactly. They could they could be like the ultimate space hippies. Like the ones in Star Trek the original series. <laughs> yeah, the ones that always seem to want to clone Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that special effect with the spinning table. It's like, whoa, damn. 60s TV was great. Yeah. Um, so Murphy races away in the car before Lewis even has a chance to close the door. Like, this yes! Is, this is not safe, Murphy. And then also he takes that ramp so violently he causes sparks to fly out from under the bumper. So yeah. I found that quite surprising. Again, I didn't think about it when I watched the movie just as a normal person. I always loved that bit. But it's just, why are you so aggressive right now? Because he seems pretty chill and soft-spoken, and then all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, we're going to hoon around, uh, if you say so. Again, I think it's just a big dog manoeuvre for, you know, he's breaking in his new partner, as it were. I guess so. Hang on, now you think about it, like, he's the new guy in the rough part of town. This one thing that does come up in the book, (laughs) the other cops rib him relentlessly for coming in from one of the the safer areas. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to know that even when, like, you know, everyone's a bit of a dick in regards to, like, the cop scenes like they're giving him all this room it's not like fuck you it's like it's camaraderie mm. and i do enjoy that even if like i said this book feels a little bit cynical in its uh, writing it's nice to see that even that's still there you know these are guys that are in a shit situation and they're not turning on each other if anything you almost feel like these guys are like you know we're kind of fucked mm. we've got to look out for each other because fuck ocp is not going to be there this novelization really makes it very clear that OCP does not care the fuck. It's surprising that for a story that is, you know, it's it's satirical, it is cynical, mm. that the characters are quite likable, even the villains. There's a lot of charisma. Mm. There's a, I, I like everyone in this cast. Yeah. Um, is it great when you can't think of a single person that lets a movie down? Like, mm. you know, cast and crew, or especially in a cast, which is like, yeah, this movie would a lot be better if that just guy was just not there. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I've been reviewing the whole goddamn season of Raised by Wolves, and I hate every <laughs> single person in that cast, especially the lead actress. She's just the worst. Oh, please tell me what you think about Mother, because I haven't heard enough of it in... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Literally the worst character in anything ever. Like... Jar Jar Binks, I would hang out <laughs> with Jar I would have a fucking sleepover with Jar Jar Binks if it meant that Mother was just a race from existence. You heard it here, folks. Um, Connor Coulson, pro Jar Jar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been pro Jar Jar. I don't think he deserves the hate he got. Okay, not to go into too much of a tangent, but 1999. I am seven years old. I have never seen Star Wars before. I go to the Perfect movies page. with my dad and my brother, and my tiny mind is blown. Therefore, yeah. I go on to buy all the Jar Jar and yeah. the Queen Amidala merchandise, and that is my jam. We're all talking about it at school. Phantom Menace is like the most important thing. It, is, it divides the haves from the have-nots. I even had that goddamn Jar Jar lollipop where you suck his tongue. I didn't see anything wrong with that, because again, seven years old. I was an adult and I bought that. <laughs> You, I think that proves that you are, in fact, chaotic evil. <laughs> Isn't that funny? The same purchase as a child means you're, you're like, a neutral good, 
And then the same purchase as an adult, Chaotic Evil. It's also because I'm a fucking fanboy, and I was really heavily into Star Wars at the time. Absolute mad lad. Oh, you mean that Star Wars is a kid's movie? Yeah. Who would have thought? Yeah. So, yeah, in conclusion, Star Wars is for children, and I watched Phantom Menace as a child, and I really yeah. loved it, and you can't say anything bad about it, so... So, I was born in 79, so Star Wars was... Two years before I was born. Mm. Empire came out when I was like one. And so the Ewok movie would have been 1983. I'm not talking about the Ewok movies. I just want to piss off some of the fanboys go, Oh, yeah. J-Dog doesn't exist. Um, so I was like extremely young when like uh, Star Wars was at its hype. And I remember, I think I remember buying the toys before I did saw the movies. I saw those movies when I was a kid and that's where I got a lifelong love of those movies. And that's where most of the slathering man-childs that hate the prequels and hate the sequels are now, they saw that when they were kids and they, they get pissed off that these are movies for kids. Mm. And even all the political stuff, a lot of people blame or accuse the uh, prequels of being really boring in that sense. And it's weird, because as a kid, watching The Phantom Menace, that stuff just felt, like, really important. I didn't really understand it, but I was just mm. like, oh yeah, some serious shit's going down. I think I think Phantom Menace is the better of the prequel movies. Uh, it's a great kids movie. It's so mm. imaginative. It's great. I saw that at least... Um... I say at least four to six times when it first came out. I enjoyed it every single time. I, I know I saw it at least like four times in the big, big, big screens. Mm. Uh, the whatever the, the, the new big screen they had at Grady Union at the time. I, I saw that midnight session. I do genuinely love the Phantom Menace. The other Good. two prequels, I'm kind of hit and miss with. I, mm. I did enjoy Attack of the Clones. I did see that a few times in the cinemas, but I think that was just me trying to go, no, it is good. No, no, it is It is good. It, it, it really is good. I No, it's, it's not that good. No, that one's absolutely boring. I'm only here for the memes, and I was at this uh, Japanese festival, and mm-hmm. I had a group of friends on the other side of the fence. They were in, on the, waiting in the queue, and I was standing on a hill, and I shouted <laughs> down, it's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. And then some random guy, I don't even know who he was, he, he was like, you underestimate my power. <laughs> and I love so, how timeless and, and universal it's become. Yeah, I, I think the memes have actually made the prequels better. Mm, we see Murphy and Lewis leaving the police precinct and I mm-hmm. uh, also looked into the locations. I realised I hadn't really looked into that before mm. and it's not something I'm accustomed to because my other podcasts do not involve real locations at all. Yeah, this one is almost all real locations. <laughs> yeah. Robocop was mostly filmed in Dallas which is why yep. it was so freaking hot and uh, <laughs> Peter Weller almost died. Yeah, well he lost a lot of weight in that suit. He didn't have a lot to lose in the first place. I know. So the exterior of the police precinct is actually Crozier Tech High School, which is still there. And the interior is the Sons of Herman Concert Hall, which almost burned down, but they have restored it. So it is still there if you should want to visit it. They do talk about this in the audio commentary. They say that uh, Verhoeven says that the basement and the locker room were at the high school, but the precinct interior had to be shot somewhere else because it wasn't large enough at the high school. Yeah, and that's crazy that... They basically, it's just a hall. So they had yeah. to construct all of that. Yeah. It's not the first uh, construction in a real place um, because even the OCP offices um, boardroom was actually a, an office space they rented out and then mm. they built an actual office interior. So it's weird because they had to basically build studios within real locations to get the right tone and feel. But yeah. there's hardly any actual studio shooting then uh, we cut to kinney bob morton and don johnson but not that don johnson stepping into an elevator oh no he's donald johnson yes it's don johnson yes donald johnson but uh don yeah. johnson <laughs> but then i can't make my miami vice references oh yeah okay i was confused because he wasn't wearing the uh classic peach uh, yeah. pop collar shirt yeah <laughs> so uh i guess we should we should probably do miami vice after this yeah no you know by <laughs> minute but like just do every episode didn't they do a remake of that just recently no, they did one about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago at this point, and it's so edgy and so serious and dark, oh, and it's just, you've totally why? missed the point of why the show is awesome. Yeah, oh god. <laughs> so quick tangent. Uh, when I moved to Australia, went to Universal Studios in LA, mm. and the stunt show they had at the time was the Miami Vice stunt show. Oh, right. Pretty fun. It's gone now, because I think it turned into Waterworld and... Um, 
Yeah, Waterworld. Enough said. And then probably something else after that. <laughs> There's one comment I was going to make is in the scene where Murphy and Lewis are in the car, on the audio commentary, Verhoeven actually comments that the body armor was deliberately designed to be gender neutral. Oh, you mentioned that last episode. Did I? Oh, okay. Well, it's I'm confirming it now. Voice of God from Verhoeven. And even um, the producer, John whose name I forgot to write down, he actually says that this is an indication of things to come. Hmm. So, again, great production design. Love this. Love this film. This particular shot, we have Kinney. He appears mm-hmm. in, in the center frame, and then the other two get in very close. And Kinney kind of flinches as Bob approaches, but it's not like they actually made contact. I had to watch that a few times. I love the framing on this when Bob, Bob Norton, who is uh, Miguel Ferrier? Yeah. I didn't write that down because I forgot. Um, he said that guy. Yeah, he, he's been so much cool stuff. And uh, most infamously in my head comes to mind is Hot Shots Part Do. Oh, yes. War. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, I love how he walks into the elevator and his back is to camera. Up until yeah. the point where he has his first line of dialogue. And it's yeah. basically um, him rightly pointing out that this whole show is about Dick Jones. Well, swinging his dick hmm. regarding the Ed 209 project where everyone else is thinking oh it must be the announcement of Delta City mm. well yeah so uh, Kenny's like you really think the old man is going to be there why would mm. they invite us and then yeah Johnson <laughs> yes. he's guessing that oh they're probably going ahead with Delta City and then yeah Morton insists that it's Ed 209 but mm. yeah this, this shot really interests me because if you've never seen this guy before there's no mm. establishing shot really you're kind of just thrown in there mm. and you don't know this is an elevator and it's just weird it's claustrophobic but it's also quite wide as well mm. and then the platform raises up and you oh okay so it is in fact an elevator but it's funny that the initial framing you think Kenny must be the because he's center framed uh, mm. you must think oh this guy must be the important guy in the scene that's why I think it's pretty he's going to be the point of view yeah and he is yeah that's why I think it's a good power move to have Bob Morton the guy who we know will eventually become the uh the more important character of the three Mm. at least in the context of this movie, that he kind of does that power move, which kind of does jive with the whole idea of corporate politics. It's all about dog-eat-dog, backstabbing. It's basically, yeah, the, the big fish in the small pond. Yeah, and uh, it's it's fascinating how Kinney is... He, he's very much just kind of like wide-eyed, G. Willikers kind of guy. It's almost like Paul Reiser from Robo- uh, Robocop... Paul Reiser from Aliens if he wasn't a complete douche. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. So Paul Reiser at the beginning of Aliens. Yeah, and I looked it up, so this guy... You have that doofy haircut. Yeah, um, but I looked up the guy who plays Kinney and he mm. would have been exactly my age... Uh, wow. at that time so it's sort of yeah he's definitely a young bloke but he's acting maybe a little bit younger than that but I think it kind of works because we're getting vital information and you sort mm. of need that point of view character of so what's going on and mm. where are we going and what's happening and yeah there's hints that this is where the seeds are sown about Robocop and specifically that uh, the old man tasked security concepts which is what the division that Bob Morton is a junior executive of. The actual novelization goes into a little bit of detail, which is really cool because mm. it's kind of subtle in this part. The Ed 209 project got delayed and the old man said to Dick Jones, come up with an alternative. You've got five months to get this done before we get into Delta City. And Bob Morton apparently was the only guy that actually gave a shit about the alternative. And so like the Robocop project is like his puppy. You know, he's mm-hmm. really in, he really wants to get this done. He's kind of pissed that Dick has basically big dogged him and got Ed 209 allegedly online. Right. We'll see how far that goes. In yeah. Minute. Um, so I'm not sure how they achieved the upshot with the elevator rising into this impossibly large Death Star like space. <laughs> <laughs> and again, one of those things you don't notice until you are watching this one minute at a time that something doesn't feel right. It looks like a real location, but there's no signs of matte paintings or anything like that. It could have been reprojection. Well, I looked into it, and this was filmed at the Plaza of the Americas, Mm -hmm. and that's still around, and it's a very impressive building. It's a a huge interior space, Mm -hmm. and that elevator is still there. Sorry, elevator. uh, I'll call it elevator. (laughs) I'm, I'm trash me. 
I'm I'm coming as Mac. Oh no no um there's this comedy show that John Mulaney did. There's these ch- characters oh. that he and his mate play, and like they're these old Jewish guys, and they pronounce everything in a weird contracted way. So like, oh, I've not seen that. <laughs> yeah. Oh hello, I think is is what it's called. But yeah, they they just contract everything. So the <laughs> the elevator. So almost uh, like a greatest gen um, title mispronouncements. Yes, decent. <laughs> decent. <laughs> but uh, yes, the uh, plaza of the Americas is... <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the perfect space, but hmm. they then obviously went in and added way more, because this building is hmm. a lot taller in the film. There's all these little crisscrossing stairways and stuff. So Yeah, they added a lot of map paintings to building exteriors to extend the heights. Yeah, especially with OCP. So, hmm. yeah, I'd be curious to know how they achieved it, because this is a movie made in the 80s, yeah. and I cannot see the seams. I don't know what they did, but it looks <laughs> real to me. If you showed me that photo out of context, I go, yeah, it's a real building. What are you What are you trying to tell me? This was kind of the peak of practical effects. This is post-Jedi. Uh, this would be, what, post... Well, at least around that same, roughly that same time, it was like Temple of Doom, so... Effects warehouses like ILM and that were top of their game. Map painting artists were fucking spectacularly good. Which is super incredible because I have been researching painting a lot lately. Hmm. And a lot of it is about creating the, an illusion. It's, a, hmm. it's not about actually reproducing every little detail no. perfectly. It's more about creating those color values and making those right. And that's... You know, when you see a lot of these classic paintings up close, you will be so shocked to see how messy it looks mm. on, on that scale. But then you stand back and it looks so... There's the dimensionality, the quality of it is just... Ah, yeah. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to learn how to paint like that, but I can... I don't think I've got the control and I, I'd rather just appreciate... I, I don't have the patience. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the other thing. Um, oh, there's a... Um... There's a really great documentary. I'll see if I can find a copy for you. Hmm. Uh, it was directed, I think produced by Teller of Penn & Teller fame. Oh, yeah. And it's um, about this um, this tech guy in America, and he's he has no artistic ability whatsoever. Tim's Vineyard. Vermeer, sorry. Tim's Vermeer. Vermeer's a little different thing. Because so. mm-hmm. Vermeer is a classic... Uh, Renaissance? Yeah. Uh, 19, no. Sorry, 17 and 3 Dutch master. And he was achieving photorealistic paintings back in, well, back in the 17th century. Mm. So this inventor, who, he's like one of those like Silicon Valley millionaire guys. Uh, he got, he got, he always wanted one of his own Vermeers. Mm. And what actually happened was he could never afford one. He's a, he's a rich guy, but not that rich. He couldn't just... He didn't want to spend his money willy-nilly. Yeah. And so he started looking into Vermeer and his techniques, and then... Oh, is this the one... The, like, like, in 3D print paintings, so the brush strokes are accurate? No. Oh, because no, no, that's no, another no, really no, cool no, story. No, no. Uh, I would love to hear that, but this one's actually kind of really interesting, because um, there's this theory that uh, Vermeer used mirrors, refraction, mm. or reflection, yeah, to, uh, to paint his models and to get that level of photo detail and what this guy did he actually decided to look into these things and test out these theories and then he did some test productions on trying to nail down how to paint via a mirror so like the reflection of a room could be focused onto a mirror so you can basically paint small details move the mirror around and essentially spread out from there he gets to the point where he decides to to get the best amount of light, because he worked in natural light, no no studio lighting, so he, he took him it took him months to paint this. He set up a studio. He cut out a wall to the to get the maximum amount of lighting. He set up a painting. He replicated the environment of the painting, including using a lathe with a with a three D kind of CNC to get the precise leg measurements for the and the patterns for. The, he put an insane amount of detail and then spent like four to six months hand painting. He never painted before in his life, but just using the techniques he learned of, he replicated his own Vermeer. That's insane. It's a lovely documentary, but 
that's because I think this is done by Teller, and Teller's one of the most sweetest people on the goddamn planet. <laughs> uh, it's a brilliant documentary, but yeah, it's not necessarily about having painted a thousand paintings before. Sometimes it's just about passion and patience and te- and learning the technique, and it's amazing. Yeah. But I would love to hear about a 3D... 3D... Oh my God, I'd love to hear about a 3D control paintbrush. <laughs> Um, yes, NPR has a thing. A new Rembrandt from the frontiers of AI are not the artist Atelier. Yeah, 3D printer basically studied all the brush strokes, and yeah, it looks pretty damn real. A 3D printer is essentially a motion-controlled well, XYZ axis. So to paint, all you need is an XY axis with a Z to put the brush up and down and to mm. pop it into paint. Which is essentially a oh god, like not a CNC machine. What are they called? A plotter, an old right. an old style plotter. Yeah. How a brush moves across a surface has got to be such a logistical fucking issue that they had to figure out how to program the movement. Oh god, I want to see this now because I'm thinking, oh god, how the technical. No, no, no. It's not a brush stroke. It it's three D printed. Oh, they three D printed it. Oh. Oh, I thought they actually... Oh, okay. I, I took it one level abstract, but... Yeah. So did they... Oh, so they they took a painting and... No, so they just got this AI to study all of Rembrandt's artwork and then created oh. an, a new image based on what Rembrandt might have painted. Oh. So it's totally original. Um, is it, so it's a 2D service, or is it actually got, you know... Three-dimensional, 3D-printed. It has the brush strokes. You can fit, like run your hand along it. It looks wow. raised. It looks like it's an oil painting. Wow. Yeah. Damn. It'd be monochromatic unless they had a couple of extra... Uh... No, it looks 100% <laughs> accurate. All colour. Yeah. Because yeah. trying to get multiple colours on 3D printing... <laughs> I have no idea how they did it, but yeah, I'll send you that <laughs> article later. A lot so, of nozzles. <laughs> So there was no single building that played the part of the OCP headquarters, which makes sense because it's around 100 stories tall. (laughs) Because when they get out of the elevator, the automated voice in this minute says 95th floor. Yeah. So just for reference, the Empire State Building is 102 stories tall. Mm -hmm. There's no way you're just shoving something like that into the Detroit skyline without it sticking out like a sore thumb. Well, it's almost like it's a history of corporations and rich bastards in America basically pronouncing to the rest of the world, I have the largest dick by making oh, gigantic skyscrapers. Yes, th- that is, this is such a great and bold OCP move. So presently, the tallest building in Detroit is the Marriott, which stands 73 mm-hmm. stories tall. Uh, it's part of the Renaissance Center, a group of skyscrapers, which one critic amusingly described as Detroit's midlife crisis. <laughs> Wonderful. And uh, so his name is Drew Gibson of Virally Suppress. I'll put that in the footnotes. Uh, the rest of this, I mean, you could just basically apply this to the OCP building. Hmm. Walking along Jefferson Avenue, staring at its gaudy, modernist exterior, it's hard not to feel as though you're looking at the architectural representation of America's midlife crisis. With all its sparkle and all its flash, it almost seems as if the Renaissance Center was designed to distract the world from the city's ever-increasing frailties. At last gasp misdirection play to try and keep visitors from noticing the uninhabited blight that has been slowly suffocating Detroit since the 1960s. Yeah. The only problem is, it's kind of hard to revitalize a dying city with both government and business leaders thinking that building a waterfront fortress that you never have to leave is the best way to foster <laughs> widespread economic growth. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Have they tried cutting taxes for the rich? Because mm. <laughs> that's working so great for federal Australia. Seems to, yeah. Yeah, no problems. <sighs> yeah, as you already said, it's just it is this monument to... phallic monument. Yeah. It's a hubris and... Uh, arrogance and just mm. so i don't know if this is a bonus episode or not so one of my favorite uh, podcasts although i watched on youtube because it's a podcast with slides mm. is a podcast called well there's your problem oh yes it's a industrial disasters slash engineering disasters uh podcast but in one of the episodes just recently they did talk about skyscrapers the disaster being well day big 
ecological biz business and uh, structural societal disasters brought on by this basically rush to have the biggest dick, particularly in New York. But this is a thing that's happened practically all over the world. Once one person figured out how to make a building big enough, everyone mm. else tried to figure out how to make a bigger building. Tower until... of Babel. Yeah. See, I personally want to have the uh, widest building, the girthiest <laughs> building. If you it's so long. It's so long that I need my own uh, train system inside of it. <laughs> well, um, well, there's your problem, uh, the guys on that. They're all pro-train. They're, they're all socialist, uh, <laughs> dirty leftist, uh, uh, anti-car pro-train. <laughs> it's a... It's amazing. They just did a three, yeah, three hours, 15 minute episode on 9-11. Mm. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, this isn't a serious podcast. They make a lot of jokes. Yeah, I've got to check that out. But uh, I don't know why I just suddenly had this image of, like, if I was some sort of, uh, you know, uh, Steve Jobs type in my mm. office or my, my workplace for all my employees. I just said elevated trains... Really massive space. I think it would be uh, a glass dome, and there would be grass, and it would just be lots of bunnies everywhere. And that's that's where you work. <laughs> I think if I had that money, and I was Steve Jobs, inactive volcano, go yeah, full supervillain. Yeah. Mm, true, true. I was trying to make like a more relaxing environment, you know, no, with no, the bunnies. No, no, no. I think. Okay. I think not. Not. No. So I want to go supervillain, not. Um, not Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, Hank Scorpio. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna go all in, you may as well go. Oh my god, that podcast is three hours long. <laughs> I told you, <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Although the one of the first few episodes is, I always died laughing because it's just the, the actual disaster is like, what the fuck did they? Th- were they thinking? And it was the, I think it's the Marriott Hotel one where oh, yeah. the uh, Skywalk fell down because they fucked up the threads on the bolts in such a way that. Oh my god. It was only a matter of time before it was just going to murder a bunch of people. Oh my god. That's terrifying. How high up was that? Uh, not very. It's only like three or four stories, but it's like interior skywalks and on the grand opening, they had like a couple of thousand people on there and that was way above the weight tolerance. Oh, I mean, if, if you fall three or four stories, that's a... It, it killed like a thousand or so people because, you know, one, one bridge pancaked onto the other bridge, which pancaked onto the floor. Hmm. Yeah. It's not exactly the most sweetness and light podcast. It's not wholesome, but at the same time, fuck, it's funny. And fuck. Oh, no. I, I love that kind of stuff. My favorite <laughs> podcasts are like Cumtown, <laughs> which is absolutely filthy. Last podcast on the left, which is all about murder and, and, and serial killers. And... That's a podcast I keep hearing pop up, but I've never listened to it. I mean, these days they've gone much more commercial, and I think it's lost that, that fun kind of stoner hanging out in the yeah. basement feel. We're never going to sell out until they offer us a good price. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we're, we aren't going to be in the pocket of big OCP. No, we're not. We're not. We're not in OCP's pockets. We're a. We're a. Um... <laughs> we're a socialist podcast. I was just trying to think of we're gonna, we're a um, pro police strike. Um... <laughs> no, I can't think of it. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Hey, where's me next? We're a di- we're a dirty left. Commie podcast. Absolutely. We're we're, we're pro Verhoeven. We're pro Verhoeven, yes. Because he uh, he definitely is not uh, a fan of these capitalist pigs. The other detail about the OCP building is that the real building in is the Dallas City Hall, and it's mm. only six stories tall. It's a, yeah, it's very futuristic looking, and so I see why mm. they chose it. But just. They've slapped all these layers on top of it, and it looks convincing, but yeah. it's just, that's so perfect. It, you know, how they, this is all hidden behind the scenes information, but every part of this is just, yeah, that's what they would do. This is so OCP. Well, they have to, well, just from production value, they have to make this sell, hard sell that this is a futuristic city well, at least the OCP stuff has to look futuristic enough. And mm. it really does help to uh, juxtapose old Detroit, which is the garbage, run-down shithole. Mm. Again, take notes, guys, sliding. 
you make your shithole look like a shithole and people will think it's a shithole. And that's the thing, is Dallas, you know, I've been looking at photos all day, it's a really beautiful city. It looks mm. futuristic and a lot of this architecture... That's why they chose it. ...sprung up around this time. Yeah, and so it's all about just good set decoration that you make mm. it look run down and shitty. You yeah. know, it doesn't matter where you're filming it, you can set dress. Or you could just film in Monday, Detroit. Or you could just do that. <laughs> I really like the game Detroit Become Human. Um, I, anyone who knows me knows that. And I Jeez, think... I would never have guessed with the name. Yeah, yeah, legally changed my name to the lead character's name. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think in terms of capturing what the city of Detroit is like, I th- they've, they've nailed it. Mm. And there is this fusion of futuristic and the past you know all the dilapidated mm. buildings are still around i kind of love that uh dirty future mm. cyberpunk aesthetic you know yeah blade runner all that type of stuff i've always been a fan of urban decay as a visual aesthetic well cyberpunk is that you know mm. high-tech low culture yeah it's yeah. a really cool fusion and mm. i think so Detroit Become Human has moments where, you know, you're in this suburban house and, you know, one of those older, more rundowns. I can't remember the name of that style, but it's a very distinct... The houses of Detroit have that very distinct style. Yeah, you're in this rundown house, but you're looking out and there's construction going on next door and there's this really shiny banner showing the city to come and... Detroit, uh, well, I should say, Robocop takes a really different approach with their Detroit in that I don't see any of that futurism in any overt way, but Mm. in a way that kind of works in its benefit because Mm. it makes it more timeless and Robocop stands out a lot more. Well, the precinct itself, that that main lobby area, just looks like a cop precincts it's got wooden panels yeah. it's it's got a very warm palette which is a great juxtaposition again i'm going to use that word juxtaposition to mm. ocp's very gray very clean very crisp lines yeah it's it's almost like the filmmakers knew what they were doing cold color palette mm. and yeah Del- there's delta city as this possible future that never comes into fruition not even yeah. in the sequels or the spin-offs yeah, it, interesting because I, so I just watched the video just recently by Noncompete, who is a leftist anarchist on YouTube, and he did a video about the political spectrum. Mm. People just think left and right. It's no, it's about authoritarianism versus libertarianism on the let's just say um, north south line of a political spectrum. So authoritarian is the at the top, libertarian at the bottom, and on the left right axis, it's um, he used. Um, Liberal versus conservative. Mm. I would argue that's probably more progressive versus conservative. But he makes a point in his video saying that a conservative libertarian is anarcho-capitalist. So someone who believes that capitalists should run everything. They should run the state. They should be no tax. You know, they should be... I think capitalists should run. Capitalists should run everything. As soon as I heard that, I was like, holy shit, that's OCP in a fucking nutshell. Yep. It's a privately owned company that is literally trying to buy out... Detroit, so it could build its own city to the point where it's built almost its owns almost everything. It just literally doesn't own the exact city, but it's using its ties to industry. Didn't Walt Disney try to do that once? Uh, Walt Disney technically did do that with Florida. So yes. Walt Disney owned... Okay, so back when Florida was just literally a swamp, he bought, using the profits from like everything, he bought like a, an unknown amount of land. Because the story goes is that when he built Disneyland, he hadn't had an eye to the future. So what happens is he built Disneyland, and then everything built around him very quickly, and he couldn't... A, couldn't expand Disneyland. B, couldn't build any hotels to profit off of uh, Disneyland. So And also, he uh, had this problem where... There was no place for the impl- the park employees to walk around without them crossing over other parks. Hmm. So he got really pissed off one day when he saw like a, a I think it was like a, a cowboy walking through the princess area or something like that outside in the open. And he was just like, no, we can't do this. He bought this gigantic plot of land in Florida, sunk it, made like his, and this exists, uh, underground like tunnel cave uh complex and built the park on top of that so 
employees can not only just go up and down el- you know, elevators and that to get in and out of discrete areas in the park, but all the operations are completely underground, all the laundry services and all that, and because he bought enough land, he built his own suburb, and which never took off. There's a great book, I'll probably link it below. It's a self-published book by a former Disney employer, this Iris Lass, I think it was called Mousetrapped. It sounds like it's a scandalous book, but it's actually really not. It's pretty wholesome. And this is like a Disney fanatic who went and became a hotel cleaner at a Disney park because they wanted to be a princess or a handler, but they didn't get into that job. But they spent a year in Disney and they talk about their experiences and it's uh, and they even talk about some of the backstory about the actual park and stuff as well. And I'd highly recommend that. I haven't seen the author's stuff in a while, but yeah, they've done a few books. Um, and it's all like diary, you know, um, first person narrative nonfiction. It's on Amazon. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, oh yeah, I've done all my notes for this minute. This is gonna. Oh my god, do you know what that means? We can get to the gaslighting of Robocop. No. Yeah. Okay. Alex, how do you feel? I feel fine, Doctor Norton. This minute begins with one of the terrorists holding a gun and nodding, and ends with the Ed Two Hundred Nine exploding. So my one line of <laughs> summarization is. Even in the future, the media is still lying about the U.S. foreign policy on peacekeeping. Mmm, nothing to see here. <laughs> I do like it. It's like it's all peace and quiet on the streets. Boom. Yeah. And then it's just an action sequence for like you know thirty sod forty seconds that that ultimately goes nowhere. Yeah, these these terrorists or freedom fighters or whatever they start attacking the robots and drones, and that goes about as well as you would expect. So the robots win every single time. Isn't it bad that I just want that little kid to be the Robocop? Yes. Well, that's the thing. If you are telling this story the way it is, and this is how you're setting it up, then yeah, this is now a story that's set in the Middle East, and mm-hmm. you're going to have this kid. He's going to grow up and become. The Robocop of, I think it's Tehran. This is, hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that could have been really interesting. That would have been way unexpected. I mean, oh my you, God. if someone told me, oh, yeah, well, this is the next, this is a Robocop re- remake or, or reboot or whatever. Hmm. And yeah, you're watching it and then this is happening. You're going, well, where is this going? And then Navid becomes yeah. the next freaking Robocop. Hell yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Okay, so there's a YouTube producer that I love called Neon Harbor. They made a series called uh, Ninja Mission Force. Which, if you like Kung Pao, same joke. Oh, cool. I was wondering if anyone had done that sort of thing. You know, carried on that Kung Pao idea. Yeah, it's low budget. It's more in the Godfrey Ho traditional style, where it's very low budget, localization, bad dubbing over other recorded stuff. But they take an extra step further to the point where, like... Sorry, what is it called? The YouTube channel is called Neon Harbor. Just Google Ninja the Mission Force. It is fucking amazing although the main bad guy yeah he's the cinema snob oh i did see yeah no this is not like a dub over a thing no they, yeah. it does have dubbing uh it's no no it's... like they didn't find an old movie and no no they f- they find plenty of old movies but they also use like they they also dub uh one of the episodes they dubbed the Don- john travolta movie the boy in the bubble <laughs> oh because i thought this was the one where yeah because it was the ninja movie that he was in yeah. Where he, he, he was guy in suit. Brad Jones did a series called Kung Tai Ted, which is a lot different. Oh, that must have been what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. Now, I highly recommend Ninja of the Mystic Force. So, Neon Arpa, um, Ed Grazer, who writes and directed um, and also starred in Ninja of the Mystic Force, he does a series he hasn't updated in a while called uh, Deja View, where he looks at remakes of Western films, but remade in foreign countries particularly places like turkey and all these other places where they couldn't get the american movies so they basically found illegal copies of them recut them and filmed new segments for them and they're usually fucking insane turkish star wars is one of the most infamous ones and it's got the most awesome fucking training montage for that is so Balls out insane and I love it. Can we watch that together sometime? Yeah, I don't know if anyone's done a Turkish Robocop and I really hope so. <laughs> that might be one we have to make by ourselves. I would love to. I'd be <laughs> totally down for that. 
Turkish Robocop. It's just like, you know, it's just a it's just like a Bollywood film, but like one person's got the Robocop helmet on, but they're still dressed up in like you know, the traditional clothing and it's still got a dance number. Yes. Yes. <laughs> See, we can still make a better remake than 2014. We're not even trying. <laughs> well, one could argue neither were they. That's what I'm saying. Like, we weren't even trying, and, and <laughs> we don't have a budget, so, you know. I don't really have anything else more to say. I feel bad, because I don't deal with that much... Um, well, I have some things. Research on uh, the remake, and it kind of shows, but at the same I don't time... Do, I don't do much research on it either, but I did notice some interesting things. Okay. Like, did you notice that the Ed 209 makes a fucking Wookiee noise? I thought I was just mishearing that. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I can't do a Wookiee noise. Well, it kind of does growl in the original one, but it's just like a mechanical growl. Yeah, it's not specifically the Wookiee noise. That, yeah. You can't just use a freaking Wookiee noise, man. That is the trademark Wookiee noise trademark. <laughs> Maybe they thought no one was going to watch this movie. Oh, true, true, yeah. <laughs> they definitely know no one was going to watch this minute by minute. So, uh, Naveed sees what's going on outside, and he then starts frantically searching the kitchen for mm. a big-ass knife. Yeah. And I'm just like, son, what do you think that's going to do? What are you... Are you, like, freaking um, Diego in... Uh, <laughs> what call it, Umbrella Academy? Can you just do some mad knife skills, or what? Or maybe he, like, you know, when he becomes Robocop, instead of a gun popping out of his leg, it's just this gigantic knife. Yeah, and he's like, that's not a knife. This is a knife. But how have you say that in Farsi? <laughs> <laughs> Letters on a postcard, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess... What I would have loved is if he did have some mad knife skills. And that would be cool. the rest of the movie, you're just like, what happened to that kid with the mad knife skills? And then the whole time, like, everything else that goes down, you don't even focus on it. Well, you, oh, uh, yeah. no. I just remembered the robot ninjas from Robocop 3. Holy fuck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The lifelike androids what know the karate and, and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what's really scary? The fact that the Robocop remake is about... Capitalism? Well, there's that too. <laughs> the Robocop remake is like 10, 15 minutes longer than Robocop 1. And it's so drawn out. I don't know why. On the plus side, when I figured out the math, I thought, oh, that's good. It's going to end before we finish this movie. Yeah. So we don't have to do the rest of the minutes. It ends somewhere towards the Robo, the sorry, the OCP raid. So it's we're literally ending at one of the best parts. I'm so surprised that Robocop the remake doesn't end like the um, fucking Lost in Space. The Lost in Space remake. I don't know if you've ever seen the '90s movie or 2000s. The Matt LeBlanc one. Yeah, yeah, that I one. love that film. It's yeah, cheesy yeah. as fuck, but then so was Lost in Space. Okay, but, 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 it ends with the Lost in Space theme song, <laughs> yes! but it's a it's remake dubstep. and it's a rap. It's a, oh no, this is way before Dubstep. Oh no, no, yeah, no, it's the techno remix, isn't it? Techno remix <laughs> with a rap <laughs> over the top. <laughs> Yo, God, that is shitastic. And that's what I would have loved for the Robocop remake. It's like, we're already in for a penny, in for a pound. Let's go. Let's make this as trashy and forgettable as possible. You know how it should end? It should have ended when, what's your name, son? And it's Murphy um, crashing down to the ground, sobbing and saying, Murphy! Because I have emotions now. Wait, hang on. Are you sure Robocop remake wasn't uh, directed by uh, David Gage? Maybe. <laughs> My emotions. I mean, Detroit Become Human is basically Robocop to the point. I think maybe we actually have to review it so that we can get the full picture. I must admit, I, I wouldn't mind playing it. I find his games interesting, although I don't think... I could not get into Heavy Rain. I wanted to do a video essay on his games, and then I came to a screeching halt on my research <laughs> when I got up to Beyond Two Souls and got intense motion sickness because the oh. controls are so violent that I thought I was playing a Hideo Kojima game, but, like, underwater. Is that the... Is that the Ellen Page one? I should specify, by the way, that the controls in Metal Gear games are bad, not in... Death Stranding. Death Stranding is beautiful and perfect. Don't criticize it. I've never played a uh, Metal... Okay, so I don't... 
I've never been a PlayStation person, and I've always had issues with the controller. I literally, to this day, cannot remember... Don't talk to me, filth. Yeah, I'm trash. I fully admit it. I just can't... Never can remember where the X triangle fucking square circle is at any given time. And when... Oh my god! Well, if you keep playing it, you get used to it. Yeah, but I don't own a PlayStation enough to... (laughs) If I can learn Japanese and I know how to spell things... In the Nihongo language. Okay, I've I, I have spent uh, probably um, God probably a hundred hours on Spider-Man on the PS4. <laughs> All that footage is now lost. Oh, <sighs> I love that game. I oh, you actually did. So you played that on the PlayStation. Uh, I borrowed a PlayStation 4 off my friend so I could play it. I that's there's a lot of reaction time though, so you must have struggled with the controls. Well, that's the problem. Is that I. I couldn't remember what was... I couldn't remember the button placements, but I could remember if I pressed this button, it did a thing more than I could... And that's also why I hate... Have you ever played a Nintendo DS? I'm not a handheld guy. Okay, because I jumped between those controllers and PlayStation, and that is hard, (laughs) because to press... Well, what I say X, to, to say yes to something... It's at the bottom if you play PlayStation. Yes. If you're playing on a DS, it's on the left. So I just keep screwing that one up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I admit, as much as I don't like Microsoft, I am an Xbox. I think the Xbox controller scum. Filth. The Xbox 360 controller is actually okay. My favorite controller of all time is the GameCube controller. I think it's an intuitive controller. I think the yeah, button placement is amazing. I think the actual button sizing and shape is quick and intuitive. No, the Nintendo 64 controller was clearly oh, that the was best top of tier. All. That was top tier. Um, but seriously, from a design level, there's the only thing I don't think. The GameCube controller. The shoulder buttons weren't great. I actually like the trigger buttons on the Xbox controller. The shoulder and trigger buttons on the Xbox controller, I think, are absolutely fucking schmick. I feel... Because oh, I've used them. I feel like it's kind of the same as the PlayStation. They're both about the same. The PlayStation 4 is probably the best PlayStation controller I've ever used. And... Oh, yeah. The older one, because I borrowed a PlayStation 3 to play Metal Gear. Yeah. yeah. No. Wow, I forgot. I forgot what it was like. Yeah. So I don't I don't like the older PlayStation uh, controllers. I never have done. I never, I never grew up with them, so... Again, it's one of those things I was always a Sega boy, and then I moved to Nintendo. He was a Sega boy. She said, see you later, boy. <laughs> I like playing Nintendo. Oh, I fucking fell into that one, didn't I? I yep. That was the sideshow Bob stepping onto the rake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing. I come from a family that... If you say a, a, anything that sounds like lyrics from a song, <laughs> and they will fucking sing it. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I'll say, oh, it's been a while. I'm like, it's been a while. <laughs> just, could you... <laughs> Mom, can we just stop? <laughs> Wait, there is a song called Talk, I think. Oh, uh, no, I just go with puns more than I go with music references. But... Yeah. Yeah, I get, I get it. <laughs> My family is... Communicates like Bumblebee and Transformers. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> So you all had your voice boxes ripped out at some point by Starscream. I wish. God, I could deal with my mum a lot better. Hang on, wasn't Starscream in the first Bayformers movie? Yes, he was. But he's supposed to be dead in Bumblebee. Uh, Continuity. No, not in Bumblebee. Starscream rips out Bumblebee's voice box and then gets exploded, doesn't he? I actually was tempted to watch it again tonight, so I will watch it and let you know. But I don't think Starscream died. Or maybe he's just... He got better, you know. <laughs> oh, no, I, hang on. Starscream is the immortal spark. He yeah. can never die. He can never die. <laughs> I'm fairly certain in one episode of the cartoon, he possesses the decapitated head of Unicron at some point. I feel like that did actually happen. I don't know. Wow, Transformers is a wild franchise, and I can't wait to write or <laughs> make video essays about Transformers because it is buck wild. How is that for a new segment? Transformers episode or Fever Dream? Mm. Oh, that would be funny. Yeah, I, I read you the synopsis, and sometimes I make them up, and I go, So is this a real episode, or did I make it up? Fever Dream. Oh, uh, the thing is, I haven't watched like the Transformer cartoons, like. In 30-odd years, so apart from a few of them, be like, nah, nah, you're fucking, you're, you're bullshitting me. No, that's a real one. The joke would be they're all real ones, and I'm just like, nah, nah, they're all fake. I know we've got a lot of podcasts going on already, <laughs> but I would absolutely, whenever we have more free time, I would absolutely love to do a Transformers G1 episode-by-episode episode review, because it is silly. <laughs> 
I remember when the uh, Transformers box sets came out on DVD. They're like about a hundred bucks each, and part of me was just there going, so tempted. <laughs> okay, uh, so, so what the notes do you have? So uh, Navid, he's going outside with his knife, and uh, his his mom's like frantically calling his name and trying to get him to stop, but she's not really getting him to stop. Like she doesn't grab him. It's it's almost like he's radicalized by uh, seeing his kinsfolk getting murdered by yanks yeah and uh if that were my mom uh she would just sit on me i i'm pretty sure <laughs> pin me to the ground yeah, but yeah you are a wee boy i am very small and You're she small. is very powerful <laughs> if my mom was a transformer she would be grimlock <laughs> <laughs> oh the transformer person no 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 um yeah, the funny thing is, I'm going to crowbar this in because I don't think I have a drop anyway. But we haven't done a Star Trek reference this entire episode, and I can't, I couldn't find one. Have I not? As I said, I think the cinematography and everything in this section has been really good. This is great storytelling and world building. And I think that's what infuriates me so much about this movie is like how much of this stuff goes to waste when it's like, this is good, this is good filmmaking. Yeah. But it doesn't serve anything. Yeah. It's almost like they were making one movie and then after this scene, they're just like, and here's something completely different. And here's me crowbarring in a Star Trek. Well, shit. That's exactly what I was hoping to spare you from. Uh, so I've recently just watched a video by Jesse Gender. They were talking about how, you know, Into Darkness is good. I'm using their words reluctantly. And I came to realize one of the things that really grated me about Into Darkness and that it is a movie that has something to say in regards to criticizing the Federation and the Federation's role in galactic politics and Earth politics and I think that's a great thing to talk about. Mm. But then the movie shits the bed because it doesn't know what it's doing for the most part. And then the ending is just like, uh, we don't know what we're doing, so we're just going to take a, an absolutely fantastic movie and just copy-paste the script and have Spock punch Khan a lot. That's the problem with a lot of modern <sighs> blockbusters. I mean, all the Marvel Fuck. movies, Star Wars. It's like, we've got all this really interesting setup, but we don't actually want to make any sort of political statement that might upset America or China. So we're just kind of going to hint at things, walk right up to that line, and then yeah. end it with lots of punching. The, the problem with Into Darkness is that this is a movie that's setting up the fact that it wants to say something, and then it ultimately says nothing. I'd rather have a movie that says nothing right off the bat and continues to say nothing and just be an yeah. enjoyable experience rather than a movie that's like, I am going to say this big thing and then silence. And that's mm. a, such a fucking JJ thing. I think that's one of yeah. the reasons why I also really did not fucking like Rise of the Skywalker as well is because it's this movie that's thumping its chest saying about how big and important it is. And at the end of the day, it feels like such a clone of a more interesting film. It just hadn't, that doesn't actually have anything to say. And that's why, you know, movies like, well, most movies from the 80s, there's so many great movies mm. from the 80s, especially Robocop yeah. and Ghostbusters. And I, mean, I could go on. And, and two remakes that kind of sh shit the crap the bed. Yeah. And why those original movies work is because it, it tells the story beginning, mm. middle, and it has something to say. Yeah. There's a lot to analyze. There is a lot to, I mean, that's why we talk about these movies decades later. Because exactly. Because there's so much substance there. Exactly. It's funny. Um, Robocop, anti-corporation, at least uh, a lot of commentary about corporate culture and all of that. Ghostbusters are going into business film by a bunch of uh, regular Joes mm. the, the, with the hopes of making it rich, but ultimately end up saving the world. Those are powerful stories. You could keep retelling those stories. You could also satirize them. You can do something with them. You can tell a bigger story. You can tell a minute story. But you need to tell us something, not this yeah. is a big, important movie. Okay, what are you saying? No, not much. I don't want to commit to anything because I don't want to scare the foreign market. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, my last note for this minute is that the crawling text below the report says a passenger stole a TSA agent's X-ray goggles. And <laughs> it's okay for astronauts to take hookers into space. And I'm assuming after that, someone typed out, I'm sure no one's actually reading this. No, I didn't, because I was too busy switching off from the fact that the... Uh, yeah, how I look at it is, and this is what I do, is, uh, you know, you, you have 
your Robocop, you know, that's the that's the good, fun stuff. <laughs> and then you just follow it by just this. I mean, I could do it the other way around. Maybe you just, uh, yeah, the medicine and then the sugar. See, this is why we are very good at, uh, well, we're a good team of this. Because I, mm. when I had the idea for this podcast, it was a matter of like, well, when I had the idea of analyzing Robocop, it was just to purely take the piss out of the movie. Mm. And it's funny because there's some episodes where we've talked half of the episode about this fucking remake. Yep. Good and bad. It's part of the analysis. But I do deliberately take the minimal amount of effort because I just want to write one line just to acknowledge its existence. And I'm trying to be snarky. I'm trying to be sarcastic. But I do want to point out the good things. And I love Easter eggs. But I hate it when like these movies make me want to switch off so much that I'm just not paying attention to the detail. And mm. I feel bad because there's somebody out there who put that much time and care and effort to throw in a fucking good gag right there. Yeah. And no one's probably ever going to notice it. I did. Surprise, motherfucker. Yeah, you are a much better podcaster minute by minute person than me. <laughs> yeah, how many? So let's see. I, so I've done Prometheus, Alien Covenant, Tron. Those are just my own. I've mm-hmm. been on Dave Made a Minute. I've been on The Matrix Minute, uh, Watchmen Batman? Minute, Bat Minute. Uh, is that all? We're on the same bat time, same bat minute? Bat minute, yeah. Actually, did I go on the same bat minute (laughs) for both? Why is that not the name of the podcast? (laughs) Yeah, same bat... So how many is that? Was that like six or seven? I I lost count at about seven. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. And you're soon to be on a very prestigious podcast called Podcast... (laughs) Called... Kung Pao into the minute. Oh, Tron. Yeah, Tronologically speaking, and Kung Pao Minute. So I think I've been on about 10 shows. And you've also a regular guest host on the Studio Utani channel. Yeah, on Studio Utani, I do Race by Wolves. I'm also uh, about to do, with the host of Tronologically speaking, Doc and Shields, we have recorded a few episodes of uh, Tr- Tron Uprising. And so that's just doing episodes at a time. So, Connor, where can we find you? So, you can find me in my million podcasts <laughs> on uh, traviandesigns.com and I'm on patreon.com slash traviandesigns. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at 60 seconds to comply. Just, you know, the same way we spell it here with the number 60. We're also on Simplecast and YouTube. And, oh, I've managed to get it linked into Google Podcasts and Spotify, and I'm still having to deal with or trying to figure out a way to not deal with Apple Podcasts. And Amazon is just trash. They've never gone back to me. Yeah, they, they're absolute uh, garbage. Yeah. So if you're on two really popular podcast streaming, you should be able to find us there. As for myself, just Google search Fanboy Crossing. I have a YouTube where I post shit, including the Kung Pao Enter the Minutes on video. And I have, of course, Kung Pao Enter the Minutes on Simplecast, as well as on Google and uh, Spotify. Uh, I do have a Patreon, but no one uses it. So maybe go give me a Ko-Fi coffee thing that's fanboy crossing as well you know uh, my computer just died so i kind of need money (laughs) yeah quite dramatically before you recorded i need to be a robocop so i can just do it all in my brain that'd be fun yeah oh please robotic overlords give me a new computer so i can sing your praises digitally thank you very much connor for joining me in this lunacy once again and we'll see you next time end of line wait wrong podcast (laughs) (laughs) no that's trunk Thank <laughs> you.